You know, when someone is as honest as Bob was when, when he wrote his book about the struggles that he's faced in his life and how he pushed through, um, I know that that's a really brave thing to do because you're opening yourself up to even more criticism and there's a lot of that. I, I think when he did that, he inspired a lot of people and we all have darkness in our lives and we all have our own issues. And when someone's open like that, I think it really helps a lot of people. That was documentary filmmaker Jordy Day on Tough Guy, the Bob Probert story. And this is the J Reels Podcast. My good people, what's happening? How you feeling? Midweek here on the J Reels Podcast. That's right, as I bring you this interview with Jordy Day, independent filmmaker, who's directed a couple other things, including a documentary on Clint Malarchuk, who was the former goalie for the Buffalo Sabres and Washington Capitals. That's a good one, but this time around, we're going to talk about his upcoming movie, which is being broadcast throughout Canada and hopefully to the States sometime in the near future. That would be Tough Guy, the Bob Probert story, chronicling the life, the times, the legend, and also the ups and downs, ins and outs of Bob Probert. This was a story that's near and dear to my heart because Bob Probert was one of my favorite athletes of all time. That's right, Bob Probert. You would think that when I look at Especially with hockey, everybody knows I'm an Islander fan. You would think one of my favorite players would be either like Mike Bossy or Brian Trottier, Clark Gillies, some of the tough guys that played back in the heyday of the Islanders. Actually, Bob Probert. I've admired him ever since he came up back in 85, 86. All those crazy battles that he had back then as far as on the ice, but he certainly had a lot of off-the-ice battles and certainly lived more than his nine lives, not only as an NHL player on the ice, but certainly off the ice as he lived fast and certainly, unfortunately, died hard at the age of 45 back in July of 2010. This conversation pretty much talks about everything that's pretty much gone on with his life. We get into the filmmaking process, how he put this all together, getting the NHL on board, especially with a lot of the controversial topics such as fighting in the NHL as it is in 2018, as well as concussions and CTE and how that plays into today's sport and beyond. A lot of the interview prospects, the whole process of putting this whole thing together, what it took, and obviously the legacy that he, he left, not only as fans, but also to his family, his fans, and the legion of people that follow him, myself included, uh, number 24, Bob Probert, who certainly not forgotten, but I feel when it comes down to being a pugilist, being a tough guy, the enforcer, the greatest of all time in NHL history, and certainly a player that we will probably never, ever see the likes of ever again. So I have this conversation, which I actually recorded last Monday. I saved it for this week because throughout Canada, this coming Friday, I believe it's going to be on Super Channel. So for those who listen to the podcast in Canada, you'll get a chance to see that. I also talk about when this will actually reach the States, which I hope it does reach the States sometimes in the near future, whether it's going to be streamed on Amazon or any of the other streaming platforms or maybe even just uh, broadcast somewhere, some way. Because uh, I certainly need to see it, and I'm sure plenty of Bob Probert fans that are out there want to see this as well. So definitely sink your teeth into this conversation, everybody, because unlike a lot of the interviews that I've seen or even read newspaper articles about this, this one goes really in-depth. And I bring to you my conversation with Jordy Day, independent filmmaker of The Tough Guy, The Bob Probert Story. Yeah, Georgie, to begin, my uh, first thing is your thoughts before uh, embarking on this project of the man, the myth, the legend that is Bob Probert. Yeah, well, I, I, I remember him from when he played. Um, 
you know, I think it was just a, it was an interesting era. I think that was sort of the pinnacle in terms of how famous the hockey fighters were. Right. You know, with the Rock'em Sock'em tapes uh, that Don Cherry was putting out. Mm-hmm. And um, it just seemed like a time in the 90s where the hockey fighters seemed to just be as, as big of all-stars as the players were. And, I mean, Bob himself was an all-star. So I definitely remember him as, as a player and as a force. I, I was really young, but growing up, uh, watching hockey. And, um, and I, I remember um, him as a bit of a notorious figure, too, uh, because he was receiving a lot of negative media attention at that time uh, for, you know, his his drinking and, and um, the incident at the border where mm-hmm. uh, he got caught with cocaine. So that's really um, how I knew him. Um, and then, obviously, my mom wrote a book with him back in 2010. And I, and I remember reading it then, and I was in college. And I, I, I like... Um, my mom's books. She, my, my mother's Christy McClendon. She's she's a hockey writer, and um, she, she she writes biographies for hockey players, and they're they're very um, personal. Mm-hmm. And she's always focused more on the human story, really, than the hockey. And and I really like that. And I, I like the books, but I was particular of all her books. I like the um, I like Tough Guy the best, mm-hmm. and 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 I was able to connect to it the most um, because. Bob really reminded me of a lot of guys I grew up with uh, who played hockey and, you know, his stories about growing up in junior and sort of the wild culture surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to, to, um, to, to relate to through them. I had heard stories like that from my friends. Interesting. And to think that in this day and age of the NHL, which we'll get to a little bit later on, uh, players like him have become dinosaurs in this league, which to me, as a fight fan, and of course, loving the game the way it once was, the physical element, the intimidation, etc., especially in the postseason, you know, we're really going to see the likes of someone like him again. Yeah, I mean, there'll never be a player like him again. And, um, you know, as a story, if you take away all the stuff that happened off the ice, like you just kind of throw out um, the incident at the border mm-hmm. and how notorious that incident was, um, as well as any other incident like that involving him. And you just looked at his story as a sports story. Um, it's still incredibly romantic. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's a guy that fought his way into the NHL that probably otherwise wouldn't have been drafted. And he became an all-star hockey player. You know, I mean, he had a 62-point season. Um, that's insane. And so no one will ever do that again. And as you say, that position of enforcer and to dominate like he did as an enforcer as well, um, obviously those kind of guys aren't really around anymore. So. You know, just a shame. And, of course, with the way – and this is 30 years ago we're talking about. You know, so this is even something that was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, which made it even that much more – uh, he made it that much more dominant as far as his headlines are concerned. And before we get to a lot of the off-the-ice stuff that had uh, been a, just a major part of his uh, career, uh, how did you get mm-hmm. involved in the making of this project? You know, how long did it take from start to finish? You know, just trying to get all the information. Obviously, using your mom was, uh, I'm sure, a valuable resource. But uh, what was the tra- yeah. trajectory of this uh, film and, you know, just from start to finish? Um it's been a document. So uh, back in 2015, I made a doc on uh, Clint Malarchuk, right. who uh, was a, uh, a goaltender famous for an incident where his jugular vein was cut on the ice and he almost bled out on the ice. And that triggered 
um, some mental health issues within him and he develops PTSD and he really struggled with that for a long time. So mm-hmm. I made that uh, doc for a broadcaster. Uh, I co-directed that uh, with my brother mm. and, and uh, I was looking at, 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 you know, other projects and I've, I've always wanted to do a documentary on Bob Probert. And I think the thing that got me most excited about the idea of doing a documentary on Bob Probert was the fact that um, we, well, my mom was sitting on all this, all these audio tapes mm. of interviews that she had done with him and like right up until he had passed. So she had been working on a book with him and she just had hours and hours of interview with Bob um, that year. And then he passed and obviously she finished the book. And so I got really excited about the idea of Bob telling his story in his own words. And that's fascinating because, you know, when you look at various documentaries, and when the subject is actually the narrator of the film, but here's someone who's been gone from us for eight years, and to think that you have, or your mom had all these recordings that you're able to put together and streamline yeah. his story with what he had, you know, what he had said back then, I mean, it, to me, I think it's revolutionary. I can't recall of a documentary using that type of theme to where he's telling a story, but he's been long gone. You know, it's not as if he just passed away last year or the year before that. Uh, was right. that was that difficult trying to put that together? And when did that come about? Was that something that you felt from the beginning? This is how I want to tell the story, or was it pretty much on the fly while you were producing it? Yeah, that, that's. I mean, yeah, from the beginning, I think I got excited about the idea. Um, like I sort of like had this. Like I was, I started listening to some recordings of him talking about hockey fights and mm-hmm. some of the incidents, and I sort of, you know, had that vision of um, his his voice under like hockey fights and and trying to make them like cut them so that they play like scenes and have them be really um cinematic um i really like that documentary amy on amy winehouse that came back from 2015 an incredible documentary Mm -hmm. and um that filmmaker um he doesn't record on camera interviews so it's like all people off camera mixed with archival right and I loved the way it incorporated uh, performances to kind of break up her narrative. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, would it be interesting um, if we could do something similar, but instead of sort of musical performances to break the narrative, we used hockey fights. Oh, fantastic. And, and because they're just, I mean, the fights are just so dramatic. And, and as you mentioned, you know, the style of the game has changed so much. And I, I, I mean, I grew up in that era, but I had forgotten just how much more brutal the fights were at at that time you know i mean now it's rare that you see a fight that looks like a bob probert fight from the 90s i mean people used to really throw and and you know it wasn't uncommon to see a guy get knocked out or i mean they were just the fights were just much more violent at, at that time no they certainly were and it's interesting as you're explaining that and i'm thinking just you know taking a trip down memory lane, just all those fights that he had, whether it was, you know, going back to his first ever fight. And if that was a microcosm of what his career was on the ice as far as being a pugilist or an enforcer's concern, was that first fight with Craig Cox in Vancouver, that second one at Joe Lewis Arena, which was an all-timer, but then, you know, Wendell Clark. And these are just his rivals, whether it was, you know, Wendell yeah. Clark, Ty Domi, uh, Troy Crowder, which that was, the, the build-up for that was amazing. I'll never forget, you know, January 20th, 1991 at the Joe uh, all these mm-hmm. fights, but like you said, these fights were fought with intent to 
I don't want to say maim, that's going pretty strong, but would intend to injure, would intend to really try to get the best of that other opponent. And what was one of the things that you saw in putting this all together that made you just think that, wow, I mean, he was so larger than life on the ice as well as off, but what made you feel even more attracted to a guy like this who night in, night out, this was his job and he just loved to do it? There's so much about his story that I find attractive. As I mentioned, just the, the sports narrative of it, I, th- I find really romantic and interesting. Um, I got excited about the access we had. So I got excited about the dichotomy there. Um, mm-hmm. This guy had this persona on the ice. He had this persona in the media as this um, wild rock and roll style hockey player. And we had access to home video footage that showed the reality of who he was at home as a loving and caring, gentle family man. And I thought, you know, kind of showcasing all three um, would make for a really interesting documentary. Whether, I mean, obviously we want hockey fans, the hockey fight community to love the film. And Mm -hmm. we put a lot of work into trying to make that happen. But just, I think... It, his story really transcends hockey, and I think um, even if you're not a sports fan, I think you could really appreciate his story. It's, I think it's a really unique one. No, I have to agree, and even and I'm sure you could uh, piggyback on this, to think that this player wasn't the best player on his team, but in the city of Detroit at the time he was playing, not only was he the most popular player in Detroit, but more popular than Steve Eisenman, the Bad Boy Pistons, and Barry Sanders, who was running roughshod over the NFL. So to think that he had yeah. that persona was just, you know, a lot of people wouldn't even equate to think like, oh, who's this tough guy? If he, Bob Probert fell out a million people, probably a handful would be able to pick him out. But to think that he was that popular back then is just astounding. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And it was just, you know, as to, I think it was just the right time, the right era for um, hockey fighting where it was within the sport, where the enforcers were superstars, and the fact that he was playing in Detroit, which was just the perfect city to be playing. I mean, it's called Joe Lewis Arena, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Named after a fighter. Yeah. So they came, they came to watch him fight, and... When, you know, when he was first playing for Detroit, you know, 85 and 86, him and Koser, uh, I mean, the Wings weren't winning. And people came to see Bob Probert and Joey Koser fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were the main attraction because, yeah, that first year, the Red Wings, they were awful. And uh, the following year, they made the playoffs, 86, 87. And then, of course, from there, the following year, which was the uh, all-star year for Bob Probert. And the Wings uh, had yeah. a little run there where they actually had some uh, success in the postseason prior to winning the Cups in the mid-90s. Now, uh, going back yep. to your mom and the resources, one of the things that I'm fascinated to learn is that was there anything that you were able to discover more that you didn't know that was in your mom's book uh, besides the recordings that she had? Was there any other information or some sort of other resource that you got that we weren't able to read in the book? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Um, and was there anything in particular that sticks out that were you able to put in the film? I mean, there's lots. Oh, really? You just have to watch it. That's it. In a general sense, like a lot of the, he, he talks about a lot of the stuff in, in the book, but in a general sense, I mean, you're just dealing with um, more material. Right. So we took, not only did we have my mom's recordings and she talk, you know, there are hours and hours of recordings with Bob and with former teammates and with Danny and um, Dave Winham. 
uh, is a uh, sports writer uh, and was uh, good friends with Bob, uh, lived with him uh, in the 90s. He wrote a book with Bob. He gave me his recordings. Uh, he did some interviews with uh, Bob wow. and with teammates, and, and so we got our hands on that as well. Um, we did, uh, geez, over 30 interviews with you know family, friends, like on-camera interviews, family, friends, uh, former players. Um, we had home video footage. Uh, we had uh, on-camera interviews from various people, uh, like archival stuff and news footage. So there's a lot of additional material there, for sure. No, of course. And I know you mentioned uh, Danny, his ex-wife. Uh, I can only imagine what those conversations were like in the beginning just to get her blessing, you know, for you to be able to uh, put out his story in, uh, in you know, documentary form. Uh, was there any resistance yeah. at first from her or was it pretty much smooth sailing knowing that this was a passion project of yours and that you were going to tell it the way it should be told? I got to say working with Danny was pretty smooth. Um, Good. She, I, for whatever reason, maybe maybe because, uh, because of the book and because trust had kind of been built up there. Right. Um, well, or for whatever reason, but I mean, I can't really say enough good things about Danny Probert and uh, her kids. They're phenomenal in the documentary. Um, they were so helpful throughout. Uh, you know, Danny is uh, just a force in and of her own right. They put on like um, a memorial ride, like a memorial motorcycle ride in Windsor every yes. year mm -hmm. in Bob's honor. Um, and they've been doing that since he passed and they've raised um a million dollars uh for cardiac care in windsor um and danny as a single mom has raised four incredible kids so um i just have a tremendous amount of respect for her and the whole family no that's fantastic because i'm sure that could be tricky considering you know obviously the controversy that surrounds him especially all the stuff that happened off the ice and you know, to detail it in a book is one thing, but to put it on film and for the, really for the whole world to watch, yeah. I'm sure that uh, had to be maybe difficult to approach her. But considering, like you said, the trust that you had and that your family had with her certainly made it uh, a lot smoother. Now, as far as the NHL is concerned, and this is the one thing that I'm curious, the hmm. uh, of course, as we talked about some of his fights before, I mean, you could just make a documentary about his career on the ice. But yeah. as far as the NHL is concerned, with the climate that the way the game is today – uh, and fighting mm -hmm. not being a major part of it. What was their response or reaction to you making this film? I haven't heard anything uh, from the NHL. Oh, really? Okay. Because I figured no, that... I, I don't know. Oh, interesting. All right. No, the only reason but, why I said... Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no. I haven't heard anything from them. Okay, because I know that the NHL, I'm sure... I don't know if they would, let's say, approve of this. I understand you're doing this independently, which is great, fantastic, but... Of course, you know, mm -hmm. once they get wind of it and obviously you're just telling him, you know, telling everybody his life story. It's not as if you're putting a black eye on the NHL, but considering the way the game is today, especially with the crowd 35 yeah. and younger, you can kind of figure that maybe there would be a reaction from somewhere in the NHL, not necessarily Commissioner Bettman, but maybe somebody in the higher ups that mm -hmm. would look at this and say, hey, wait a minute, we can't have this film uh, released. Yeah, I don't know. I, we interviewed Colin Campbell uh, Sorry, Colin Campbell for the documentary. Um, he was the uh, assistant coach for the Red Wings at the time that Bob was playing, and uh, he, he helped look after Bob. So mm -hmm. um, 
there was there was participation uh, there, um, and he didn't seem to have any issue with any of my line of questioning. Um, I think you know I, I'm not going into making the documentary with any kind of agenda. Like I I, I, I didn't go into the making the documentary with any kind of agenda. I'm not trying to make an argument uh, against fighting or for fighting or um, make any kind of statement. Um, it's just about telling Bob's story. Um, his truth, his family's truth in terms of how the concussions impacted him mm-hmm. and and other fighters in terms of how they were impacted. Um, so, yeah, so that's all I can really say about that. Oh, yeah, no, and just from that alone, because I think back to, not to compare this to League of Denial, which mm-hmm. was the film that came out in, I believe, 2013 in reference to the NFL and concussions, right. and not that you're trying to, yeah, yeah. right, not that you're trying to, uh, call them out or try to reveal something that was, you know, kind of swept under the rug. But, uh, and I'm sure it's not going to have the same backlash, but right. You're bringing up something that was the truth. That was part of not mm-hmm. necessarily the league, but of course, you know, when, uh, after he passed and was found out that he had CTE and like you mentioned, other players yeah. having concussions, I'm sure the NHL, who knows once this uh, comes out, it'll be interesting to see what their response was. Hence my question, as far as, you know, getting any type of reaction or response from the NHL. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, now, as far as the uh, people that were part of it, I know you said you had over 30 people that uh, participated, of course, former players, coaches, et cetera. Was uh, did the majority of the people who were signed on to be a part of this, uh, were they more than obliging or were there some that actually, I mean, of course, you don't have to give me any names, but did you have more people obliged or did you have some that were a little resistant and wanting to touch the subject, not necessarily just of, you know, Probert himself, but also his career and what this, the stuff that happened to him off the ice as well? Um, everybody was great. Oh. I mean, it, 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 everybody was awesome. And, and I asked the questions I wanted to ask and I was really happy with how open everybody was. They, they seemed like conversations, um, that those players wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have any issues at all, honestly. Oh, good. Now, was there someone yeah. that, was there someone that you wanted to get, but weren't able to get due to scheduling time or maybe just uh, flat out refused? Yeah, I, I'm pretty happy with like how we ended up, um, who we ended up interviewing. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody flatly refused, but yeah, there were some scheduling conflicts here there. But I think that we, um, everyone who plays a big part in Bob's, yeah, maybe maybe I could put it this way. You know, um, we definitely didn't need more interviews. Right. Uh, we did over thirty. That's a lot for an hour and a half. And we got a lot of big names, and we got a lot of people that were close to him. Um, the challenge was initially making that list of who are we going to interview, because mm-hmm. Bob lived a tremendous amount of life. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, just everybody you talk to that knew him has a story about him, mm-hmm. and they're all phenomenal stories. <laughs> he just he lived fast for a long period of time. He lived hard. He lived a lot of different chapters of his life. He did a lot of cool and interesting things. He's just a uh, unique guy, and he was loved by so many people. So, I mean, it was tough to 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 get the list down to who actually appears in the documentary. That was really um, the bigger challenge. And that's funny because that was going to be my next question. If there was a, an obstacle in making this film, whether it was right scheduling with some of the uh, people that you had to interview or uh, securing game footage, I don't know how that was like. You know, as far as that getting permission from the league. But you would say pretty much uh, your answer was just as as it was as far as 
just being able to schedule everybody and get the right amount of people to be a part of this film? Yeah, we were really fortunate. Um, we filmed, we, we came to Windsor during the ride and we were able to get a bunch of family and friends um, all at the same time because they were all gathered in Windsor mm-hmm. and everybody was really accommodating. And so um, I feel really lucky. I feel really fortunate with who we were able to, to, to get in the documentary and how open uh, everybody was in the interviews. Yeah, we were, and just, you know, to have Danny's um, input uh, and help throughout the whole process. It, it was amazing. It was a it was a really phenomenal experience making the documentary. And uh, who was the one person that you could have spoken to for hours on end about Bob Probert? Was there one guy that or even or a woman that uh, could just you could have just left a recorder on, or you could have just kept filming, you know, for hours on end because it was just so entertaining? That's a really cool uh, question. Um, I think everybody. It's really hard to wow. to to. to, to to, to pin it on one person mm-hmm. um it was tough like i talked to virtually everybody i interviewed i interviewed for almost at least an hour which is wow. not un- uncommon um but it does it, then it becomes tricky to to edit it down <laughs> to <laughs> uh to a, a reasonable time frame and there's so many great stories from so many players that just didn't end up in the documentary because you just have to stay so on story but um everybody was really great i guess if i had to say like who i was like in, most impressed with it was honestly um uh, probert family oh, okay. um danny's an incredible interview mm-hmm. um she's an incredibly intelligent person and she's very well spoken and his kids are incredible wow. same thing just confident well-spoken great storytellers thoughtful um I mean, that really speaks to what a great dad mm-hmm. he must have been. Just, I mean, just how incredible his kids are. No, of course. And uh, I know you mentioned that uh, there was a lot of stories that, of course, didn't make it into the documentary. Is there one that really sticks yeah. out? Is there one that sticks out more than any others? I'm sure there was a zillion of them. But is there one that resonated more? And that, at the end, you're like, oh, man, I want to put this in here. But uh, you know what? We already have enough. And I think, you know, you had that yeah. hour and a half limit. Well, you can only really put, you actually can't put in very many stories. That is the funny thing. Really? You know, well, when you're like putting together the doc, if you're putting a story in there, like uh, um, an incident that happened in Windsor or something like that, I mean, that might take like five minutes. I mean, you only get so many in, you only get so many scenes in the film. Right. And there's, I mean, there's an endless amount that you could put in, but. Uh, yeah, you, you can't actually put that many in. So there's a ton of stories um, that would have been great but just couldn't fit. Uh, one that comes to mind, um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it because yeah. I'm not going to be as funny as uh, uh, Mark LaForest told me a story. They call him Trees. Trees, oh, yeah, the goalie, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he tells a great story about being hazed. Uh, by the Red Wings when him when him and uh, Bob were rookies and um, the actual story of getting, him getting hazed is really funny but then Bob uh, was telling Trees he's like oh that's that's bullshit that they did that to you we gotta get him back uh, you know who we should get we'll get Eddie he's talking about Eddie Neal right the other guy um, so Wayne Gretzky's best best friend and a veteran in the league uh, super well respected player and 
and uh, Michael Force is like, we cannot do that. They'll kill us. Like, we're rookies. You're crazy. And he said that uh, he was in the dressing room with uh, Bob and, uh, and uh, Eddie Mio, and Bob uh, snuck up from behind him and tackled him. And I was like, Trees, grab the clippers, grab the clippers, we'll shave them. And uh, hearing Trees tell that story, it was pretty funny. <laughs> I know. No, yeah, that's go ahead. no. I was gonna say, and that's amazing too, because I know, of course, in your mom's book, there's uh, some great stories in there about, you know, especially when they were yeah. in the minor leagues, and to think that here yeah. they are in their rookie year, and they, you know, about to be hazed, and here as rookies, you know, being bold and going against the grain. There, I'm sure that must have been uh, theatrical to say the least, because I'm sure the older players they probably looked at that and said, "Hey, who are these young whippersnappers trying to come in here and, uh, you know, show who's boss?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm sure. Um, Playing in the NHL then um, sure is different than playing now, at least the way I understand it from talking to players. Uh, I think they used to have a lot of fun. I'm sure they still do. Right. Different kind of fun. No, absolutely. And it's crazy, too, because now to talk about just some of the off-the-ice stuff that they're able to put together, and especially the uh, incident that happened at the tunnel there in Windsor where, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. smuggling cocaine. Now, it's amazing to think that, he was still back in the league. I believe it was less than a year after that. And could you imagine if that was, you know, today's NHL or any league for that matter? It's amazing to think that everything leading up to that, because, of course, you know, obviously mm-hmm. he had, you know, multiple suspensions uh, on the ice. And then that was his really first big incident off the ice. Then later on, of course, you had the motorcycle accident and just so many things that he did off the ice. And like you said, lived fast and lived hard. And uh, to think as polarizing as he was as a figure back then, and I think he's up there the ranks when, as far as athletes are concerned, as far as that uh, you know that polar uh, athlete or bipolar athlete, however you want to call it, polarizing. That's the word I was looking for. You know, mm-hmm. you have like Mike Tyson, you have Allen Iverson, and to me, you know, for bad, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, Bob belongs there in that pantheon of those uh, performers, those other athletes, because not only did they live the life the way they did, but at the same time, they came back to beat odds that certainly would be insurmountable today in this you know, climate of uh, any sport, whether it would be hockey, basketball, baseball, football. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, I, I'm, it is, it's hard to imagine it happening um, today, but I think it was hard for people to imagine that it had happened then. Yeah. I, I don't know that anybody really knew how to respond. Um, I've heard a few people say, uh, I guess it's hard to, 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 to um, prove or... or figure out the, the history there, but um, a few people in interviews said that they really started and began the drug and alcohol program in the NHL as a result of Bob Probert. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there were plenty of alcoholics before, oh, but, yeah. I, but, I, but he, I think he was so much more high profile than anything the league had ever seen. Mm-hmm. The, these incidents were so high profile and were getting so much media attention. And so everybody was shocked at the time. And when he was busted at the border, um, with cocaine in 89 uh, and he was charged and ended up going to, to prison. I mean, everybody thought his career was over. Oh, absolutely. Nobody thought he was coming back. Nobody thought that that was an option. So as you say, that's part of what's so great about his story is he just seemed to come back from anything. And I mean, it, the same thing happened again in 94 when he crashed his motorcycle mm-hmm. and uh, Detroit let him go. Again, everybody thinks he's finished. 
and he comes back again. So, I mean, you just could never uh, count him out. And the amazing thing about that, uh, Jordy, is that after the Red Wings released him and they gave them, you know, obviously the Red Wings gave him a million chances. He goes to yeah. Chicago and he plays there for seven more years. It's not like he played one, two more years and then that's it. He just faded off into the sunset. Sunset. He actually played seven more years after that and he had already been in the league at that point for nine years. Or let me see. Yeah, because he was in the, almost 17. So to think that he had this first part of his career and like you said earlier, he had many chapters to his, mm-hmm. to his uh, hockey life and of course his life in general. But after him being released and then going to Chicago and playing all those years in, uh, for the Blackhawks makes it even that much mm-hmm. more fascinating and even just adds more to his legend. Yeah, it's incredible. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, was there anything that uh, you filmed that didn't make the final cut uh, in particular and why? Oh, there's so much. <laughs> yeah, again, so just much. like the stories. No, <laughs> no, I totally understand. Uh, yeah, that's, that's like, uh, oh. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I could try and think of that. I don't have anything <laughs> um, that like pops into my my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a lot. I mean, you have to kill your darlings uh, at a certain point at, where you're like, oh, this would be a great scene, and this is really awesome. And as a standalone moment, this is incredible, and people would really love it. But just for the sake of the film as a whole, you kind of you have to edit out. And those are always really um, those are always really difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, do you have a favorite Bob Probert fight? Yeah. I know um, there's tons. I know there's a million that stick out. I mean, I could, could go through a whole laundry list of them, but maybe there yeah. was one that resonated with you. I mean, there are a ton of phenomenal fights. His fight with Marty McSorley. Of course. Uh, the legendary one is, is incredible. And that's the um, second one, because he had one in Edmonton at, yeah. at Joe Lewis, but when uh, McSorley was in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that one was just epic. Both Craig Cox fights are mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Um, Trey Crowder fight. Uh, I like the comeback one a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, um, the Domi fight, the comeback Domi fight's pretty special. Uh, just because, as you say, it was a unique time where the fights were just getting so much attention. And it's so interesting uh, to, to look back on all the news footage and stories leading up to, to that rematch. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like the New York Times, and it's all over the news, and all the sports broadcasters are talking about it. They're not even talking about the game. They're talking about the fight between Bob and uh, Ty. Yep. And, I mean, no one had really seen anything like that before, and then no one's really seen um, that since. You know, his, his fight, some of his fights just got so much attention. To the point where people were going to the game to see the fight more than they were going to the game to see hockey. No, absolutely. And the crazy thing is, is that that second fight was actually 26 years ago to the day yesterday. It was December 2nd, 92. I'll never forget it because I was actually actually in wow. the building February 9th, 1992, the first Probodomi fight, which was, uh, the second one was epic. The first one was just as good too, but he had cut Probert and that's when Domi was showboating with the heavyweight belt, you know, taking his hands and wrapping it around his uh, waist and, you know, twirling his yeah, fingers. Yeah. And that, that would really caused the buzz and the lead up to the second fight like you said a lot of the sports shows and news shows led in with that they didn't even think about the game they were just looking for this rematch and it certainly lived up to the hype yeah oh you were there that's incredible yeah not for the first one i wasn't there for the second one though but the first one i'll never forget where i was at and i watched it and i was just oh my goodness i was just euphoric well, it is amazing too i mean it's hard to picture ty Domi as anything but a vet at this point right you know just the career that he's had and 
I, I think um, I've heard from people that he's had the most hockey fights of any other player. Mm. Uh, but at that time, he was making his name for himself, and, and and he was hungry. But how bold of him to to do that? It's just amazing. Sure, and then I know they became good friends later on. They were part of that Battle of the Blades, mm-hmm. which I guess is the version of Dancing with the Stars that they were a part of, and they became pretty good friends because of that and uh, somewhat reunited them, of course, with their link in the past. And uh, I'm sure that they, you know, they both spoke fondly of each other after the fact, and I can only imagine what, uh, and looking forward to see what Ty has to say here in, uh, in the upcoming documentary. So, but, uh, and with yeah. that being said, I know the uh, film is days away from premiering, especially in your neck of the woods, and I believe on a uh, particular channel up there. Forgive me, I, I was thinking Sports Channel, but I, I know there's yeah. a, an outlet up there that's going to broadcast it. But, of course, for those, especially here in the States, uh, when can we uh, find the premiere or when can we uh, look to see where it will be streamed or shown in the theater? Uh, please, mm-hmm. whatever information, because I'll be first in line to buy that ticket. That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm really happy and excited about uh, – American response so we're definitely working on it we don't have a deal in place uh, for anywhere in the states mm, okay. uh, as you mentioned it, it's airing on Super Channel uh, here in Canada on December 14th mm. and uh, we're working on it man uh, we'll, we'll get it to you guys oh no <laughs> and I'll be uh, waiting with bated breath for that release and then uh, one last awesome. thing one yes absolutely one last thing for me uh, Jordy is uh, mm-hmm. if there's one thing that you want people to take from this film uh, what would it be mm-hmm. hmm, yeah well, I, I, I know, the, um, you know, when someone is as honest as Bob was when, when he wrote his book um, about the struggles that he's faced in his life and how he pushed through, um, I know that uh, that's a really brave thing to do because you're opening yourself up to even more criticism, and there's a lot of that. I think um, when he did that, he inspired a lot of people. And we all have darkness in our lives, and we all have our own issues. And when someone's open like that, I think it really helps a lot of people. So I hope that those um, interviews that he did and his openness to, sh- to share his story um, continues to inspire people. And hopefully the doc can help with that too. Oh, sure. And you know what? And one of the things that just popped into my head, and of course, if uh, I'm sure that you'd be willing to share, I know his relationship with his father, and his father also died very young as well. But yeah. his father also was a big influence on him from, from two different regards. One, I remember reading in your mom's book how he discovered you know beer in a cooler at one point, I believe it was in the garage. And of course, that's what started, I guess, his... Uh, I don't want to say his uh, temptations or whatever it is when it comes to alcohol, but even more so about when everyone watched him fight and he would just fight to the bitter end. And it just made me think Mm -hmm. that, wow, he must have some stamina. But no, it was actually he pretty much had his dad instilled in him because his dad always said, hey, you got to continue to fight until you pretty much down to your last, last breath. And it's ironic to think that not only was that the way he lived on the ice, but that was also the way he lived off the ice. So just your thoughts real quick on how his father was just, you know, especially from an early age, uh, happened to be the big influence that he was leading into his adult life. And then, of course, you know, just tragically uh, ending, you know, way too soon. Yeah, that's really insightful. Um, For sure, that's something that we touch on in the documentary. And even in an interview uh, Bob did uh, for the book, he he says that. He says, uh, you know, that he had his dad's words in his head, you know, be tough, mm-hmm. don't be a wimp. And, uh, that, that helped, um, that, that gave him drive. 
and that his his dad's influence uh, continued on um, throughout his hockey career. And I think you know, obviously, losing uh, father uh, as a as a teenager, as a young guy, uh, he, he lost. He, I, there's a story in the in the doc, and it's in the book as well, uh, that he um, he left for camp uh, to play junior hockey the day after his dad's funeral. So mm. it was really, you know. Uh, his dad had died and he went right into his hockey career. So obviously uh, that I think must have had a huge impact on him. Oh, without question. Uh, Jordy, I am honored and uh, privileged and it's been such a pleasure to have you on just to uh, talk about this film. Of course, again, it's tough guy, the Bob Probert story. Uh, We'll certainly, I'll post it everywhere. Once it uh, comes to the States, I don't have many friends in Canada, but I'm sure you know, from British Columbia all the way to Nova Scotia, I'm sure they're going to be waiting, you know, from pins and needles to watch this. And uh, I'll be certainly doing the same here in stateside, waiting for that to be released. So uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, looking forward to watching this film. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. Let me tell you something. I could have talked to him for hours about that. And just the fights alone could be a documentary. And I'm glad that he actually took that angle as well. We all know that what he did on the ice was just as big as what he did off the ice, despite the fact that he was an all-star, despite the fact that he was an an alternate captain on those Red Wing teams back in the 80s and early 90s. But to think for the fight fan like myself and for the many fight fans that are out there, for him to chronicle all the different battles and matchups that he had were certainly... What, there was the number one thing that I wanted to see about. And of course, we know about his life. We knew about a lot of the stuff that took place off the ice, whether him getting caught at the Windsor Tunnel there, you know, smuggling cocaine from the uh, States uh, into Canada, uh, the motorcycle accidents, all the things that he had gone through. Uh, certainly, I mean, that's a lot of the reasons why, you know, he ended up uh, passing a lot earlier than he uh, certainly should have. And with that being said, the fight fan, like myself, was certainly fascinated to see how this was going to be portrayed. And as you heard from Jordy himself, no clearance from the NHL. Certainly had the blessing from a lot of the subjects that he used in the film. Not only just his family, but of course a lot of the other tough guys that he had interviewed. Tony Twist, Ty Domi. Uh, I believe also uh, Joe Koser was in it. So I can't wait to get the, my eyeballs to get a chance to see this and get my hands on watching this film. And I get, this is pretty much a uh, passion project of mine to put this story out there, but it is true people. And you can look it up as I said in the interview. And I'll say it again. This guy was as popular as a sports figure in Detroit at that era, more so than Barry Sanders, the Piston bad boys and his own teammate, Steve Eisenman, who was one of the top players in the league. And he just had that aura. He had that presence, not only on the ice, off the ice, as it's been said, you know, throughout the interview and even from uh, just me putting it out there for you guys to get a better understanding. But all you have to do is just go on YouTube, click on Bob Probert. You'll see all these different fights. You'll see all the, the different highlights, the clips. And if I were to suggest just a few, you'd want to watch Craig Cox, C-O-X-E, Bob Probert. Uh, Bob Probert, Troy Crowder. Bob Probert, Ty Domi, and one of my favorites, uh, it's a fast fight, but Bob Probert fought a guy who came up for the San Jose Sharks back in the 91-92 season. His name was Link Gates, and he was a guy that was drafted, the same draft as Ty Domi. Defenseman, a lot of people thought that he was going to be the next Bob Probert, and man, that fight, it was 
Yeah, probably like a good 40, 45 seconds. But man, you talk about some vicious punches thrown in that fight. Watch that and get back to me on any of my social media accounts. Send me an email, whatever. And I understand hockey is not a lot of people's forte. I get a lot of people more into you know basketball and baseball, football, and hockey's kind of get swept under the rug, especially for the guy that's 30 and under because they can't relate to the way the game was played back then. And everybody knows how I feel about the game today as it was back then. I mean, if you listen to this podcast before, you know I'm all about fighting in the league, intimidation, toughness, playing physical, getting that edge, sending a message, all that. And the game is just the shell of what it once was. So certainly start with that. And then you could just pretty much, and also Probert and Wendell Clark with one L, W-E-N-D-E-L Clark. They've had some just vicious fights as well, especially when uh, Wendell in the early part of his uh, career when he was with Toronto. So you definitely want to click on those. You'll have a lot of fun watching that and whatever else that you may find there on YouTube. As we all know, it's a beautiful place, but at the same time, it can be a dark place. But uh, definitely check that out. And please get back to me. Let me know what your thoughts are about the interview, about Probert, about anything in reference to that. Whether it's uh, Twitter, JReels1, just a number. Instagram, JReels. And the JReels podcast on Facebook. That's my Facebook page. You can send me an email at the JReels podcast at gmail.com. And of course, as I say all the time, people, please go to any of the platforms that you subscribe to, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher. Just takes a couple of minutes. Just type in the JReels podcast. Go ahead and leave a review, post a rating. Let me know and also let the sports podcast universe know about what it is that I have to offer each and every week. Obviously, that's just going to increase the visibility of the podcast as well as interest and hopefully generating a lot more guests in the days and weeks to come. And that's why I'm here, people, because I love to talk sports. I love to deliver this platform to you each and every week because I love to engage, entertain, inform, but most importantly, deliver credible sports talk here, whether it's the diamond, the ice, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the Jerry podcast always comes correct, direct, and full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the Jerry podcast, on the flip, baby.